Get a Pot of Skew podcast. I am CJ, and with me, as always, is my head roller mate Rico. What's up, man? What's up, motherfucker? We got a big one tonight. We oh do. Oh my god! Holy um, shit! Um, um, I should have worn the brown pants. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Thank you. Um, because I mean. No, but before you guys assume it's Kevin, no, it's not. I mean, that that's pretty big too, but it's not Kevin. But it's just still for you and I. This is pretty big. We're we're pretty this excited. This is huge. This so. is this is this is a big deal. And and you know what? I I have to kind of pat myself on the back a little bit. Well, actually, I think I started it, didn't I? I mean, you initiated. Yeah, but he was it. he was giving you shit. So, well, so, who who isn't really? I mean, like, so it was for my defending of CJ on Twitter against someone else. This person who's going to be on in a couple seconds. Um, they were getting into a very very you know laid back kind cheek, of Twitter playful. Point. Yeah, it was it was there was no malice for sure. It was all good fun. It was well, it was. Annoying. I don't know. We but, haven't had him on yet. Maybe he's well, here that, to actually give you some shit. And be like, true, Fuck that's you. true. But at least the tone that came through on Twitter was very playful and fun. And and actually, it, it started with the general question of what Marvel movie do you go back and enjoy now that you didn't enjoy on the initial viewing? And right. I said Captain America Winter. Winter Soldier, because everyone fucking loved that one, and, and it just it missed me initially. I've I since come to really like it, but at the time it it just missed me completely, and so that was the answer that I put, and no idea who I'm responding to at that point. By the way, just a name with a check mark next to it, you know, and so yep. I I respond and. He said something. I forget exactly what his response was to me, but it, it was more or less like, "You are so fucking wrong. How <laughs> dare you?" Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and and then you chimed in, basically saying I felt the same way, like which was, you know, which is true. true. I, yeah. I felt like Winter Soldier had basically, like, it's a great movie, but it took a couple viewings to yeah. really yeah, yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Uh, the main reason is because like it's kind of a 70s espionage spy thriller that happens to have Captain America. And when you're not ready or expecting that or even really raised on that genre, it takes an adjustment. And and now I you and I can both appreciate it for what the fuck it is. Not to mention, I mean, for me, I was thinking about this earlier because I know it's probably going to come up when we, we start the conversation with them. But like. I think what what does it for me is actually knowing where the relationship with him and and Sam end up, like mm-hmm. retroactively knowing how integral Sam. Because I I don't listen. We we know comics. We know I know the movies better than I know the books at this point for sure. And right. so like Sam will Sam Wilson Falcon was not on my my radar really. So right. you know I I wasn't. When I first saw it, like, oh, that's going to be huge. Like, it meant nothing to me. And then I saw the relationship they started to build in Ultron and then continued on in Civil War and mm-hmm. so forth and so on. And it it made me retroactively look back at that, that first meeting. And, and honestly, what sealed it for me, and I know it's going to sound really stupid, but what sealed it for me is Endgame. Mm-hmm. When he's like, when, when you know Cap standing in their shield, broken to shit, and looking like he's gonna get his ass kicked, you know, finally, not that I mean, he kind of got his ass kicked already, but like really just destroyed at that point. And right. you hear Sam's voice, you know, 
presumably five years later for for Cap going on your left. And it's like, oh, that's like heartbreaking every time. So, Well, so I got involved in this Twitter thing and I was defending you. And then it became kind of like, it, it was very much a tongue in cheek back and forth. And I, and he was like, I, I, at this point I was like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is either because <laughs> I'm an idiot. And I, I did, was, I did look. And once I saw, I was like, I am not getting into a fight with this dude. Like, <laughs> But what, but then once I saw who he was and how he was essentially the, the co-creator of Deadpool. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, no one fucks with my friends. I don't care who you created. <laughs> uh, the, the worst fucking, you know, if you want to talk about bad Marvel adaptations, can we talk about Deadpool 2? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, this guy really was just like, hey, if you're really going to talk shit about some of the works I've done, you really should talk shit about the book I just wrote. You can buy that at any store you want. Like, he, like did, he, was, hey, he man, took always, it like such like a fucking selling. champ. Always be selling, man. Always be selling. Oh like I God, can't, dude. I can't be arguing with that. Uh, but so it, yeah. I privately DM'd him and was just like, "Hey, man, that was a lot of fun. You're a real fucking good sport." Now this is an opportunity for me to be like, "Hey, you want to come my podcast?" <laughs> like we really, and and you know what? Like the generosity of of him just being able to come on, and the generosity of his wife and family yes, letting him come on because yeah. We're she, recording on an off day. Normally we record on Sundays, but like Well not only we're like, recording no. on an off day, but we're recording like he gave us very specific days and times and we were like none of those work for us. But here's like a counter offer and ultimately it, he was like, Okay. So Yeah, and we were like, All right, we will we will bend over, just please give use lube. Like yeah. it's really like we'll yeah, bend yeah. over backwards for you, motherfucker. Yeah. Um so, should we say his name before we fucking... I'm not attempting like... to. Not really, no, because we're going to... We'll, we'll just... Yeah, we'll bring him in. Okay, so we'll... I'll, I'll, I'll be the one who... If he, if I fuck up, I fuck up. All right. So, Fabian Nisasea. That's God, that, how that's, I've heard it. That's it's how I would go with it. Argentinian last yeah. name. Yep. He, he, yep. So, it, it, from, it... From henceforth, he will be known as fucking Dadpool, <laughs> because he's essentially the dad of Deadpool. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I've got. I'm really interested to talk to him about some of this stuff. It's going to be fun. To uh, I have some questions that'll be curious to hear his his perspective on. You know, so. And if you, you know, if it doesn't go well, then you guys heard none of this shit. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> well, he he is with us, and it is the man himself, uh, Fabian Nicieza. Close enough. Look. Look at how look at he's looking at me for approval. No, all hey, good. All hey, good. I, I, I don't I don't ever say my name on the show, but I've got a I've got a last name. It's easily to easy to mispronounce too. So I, I try to I try to do people the respect of getting it right when I when I do. De Giorgio, so. right? De no, that's Giorgio. Mine's De Giorgio. Oh, that's, that's him. CJ, that's what's him. Yeah. Last name? I, I, I'll tell you off air before we hang up, but I don't ever say it on the show for for reasons. So <laughs> he doesn't even say like his real curse, name. Pronounced like a curse word. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so, if you change one letter, kind of. Yeah, a little oh, bit. Yeah, excellent. a little bit. Yeah. So, um, or if you pronounce it the correct the correct way, it could be also. Yeah, taken away, absolutely. So. Uh, oh, anyway, that's lingers. That's that's a different uh, conversation. But Wait, thank is you. your last name is your last name F U C H S? Is it no? Fuchs? But that that would be that would be funny. Uh, but no, it's not. Uh, and I know people with that last name, so I know what you mean. But no. Um, <laughs> 
Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. My it, pleasure. Thanks for having me. And although the audience may not know it, apologies for being a little late. Uh, oh, no, no worries at all. We, we, we don't mind that. We don't get been out of shape about that kind of stuff. So, um, we were doing a little bit of a, I don't even know where to start right now, Rico, based on the pre-show. <laughs> I don't know. Dive, pre go for it. Just dive right, in. Well, well, you said something a little like off, off, off air about, uh, you are in fact the co-creator of Deadpool. So let's get that out of the way. Off the table, yeah. Let's get it. Yeah. Yes. So, so what? Uh, well, first off, like I, you know what? I, I, we, we both, we all know, and Rico and I specifically, because it's come up a couple times on the show that Lee Field gets all the a lot out of the credit for this. But you know, you being the writer on this, I would honestly say the soul, the 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 character that is Deadpool really comes from you because you wrote his voice. Am I accurate in that perspective, or? I, I think that um, we are at the current point where anybody can interpret truth however they feel comfortable <laughs> interpreting it. And I could give a rat's ass uh, how you as an individual interpret because I know what the truth is. Okay. And, and, well, and, and at, the end of the, at the end of the day, what we've become is a society that is permeated by so much purposeful misinformation mm-hmm. that a large body of the audience that listens to that misinformation just simply believes it because they've heard it so often. Right. And trying to, trying to worry about that or change that is like trying to swim up Niagara Falls. It's just not worth it. Um, and, and I'm at the stage of my life and of my career where I could care less what someone thinks is the truth. Uh, when I know I'm comfortable with what the truth is since I lived it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, th- I'm, I'm going to now take this opportunity to show you what I bought my girlfriend. You're a nerd. You bought that for your girlfriend? Oh, she loves I mean, it. Oh, my God, well, dude. It well, fucking... women, chicks dig Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> it lights up, it lights, too, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Does it but... really? Oh, Look, I don't, know, I don't know if you can see it. I, yeah. yeah it's, I do. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Friends of so, mine, a friend of mine works for Hasbro, and he recently got me the talking Deadpool head, and it's still it's still in a box somewhere in my office, but I have the talking Deadpool head now. <laughs> so, well, the other I, thing, I also got her this. What is that? Uh, it's a little. Oh, it's oh a, it's a, I see now. I see it now better. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a him. Statue. Yeah, it's a little statue of Deadpool taking a selfie with some fucking unicorns or unicorns, as I call them. I <laughs> refuse to call them fucking unicorns because where's the corn on the fucking head? It's a horn. It's, it's a horn. It should be a unicorn. Thank you. Yeah, I don't understand. I, until you just mentioned that, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know if I ever once thought of it. <laughs> right? I, I don't think anyone <laughs> has until he says it, but that's beside the point. So, anyways. But, you know, so, my, my, my girlfriend fucking walks at night and, like, has that thing. So, like, it flashes so, there's, like, no one hits her. So, if, like, they, actually, if they do hit her, it's like, oh, shit, just ran over Deadpool. It's pretty adorable. <laughs> it should keep her safe, too, because this is going to bother somebody who's wearing a funny, cool Deadpool hat. Right, right. Um, I mean, I live in Oakland, so, you know. No, they'll be cool with it. They'll just, oh, okay, you go, you go. We'll kill the person behind her. <laughs> Me? Yeah, I'm usually yeah, one behind usually her. Him, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want to say, but okay. I'm the <laughs> asshole who's like wearing a fucking like Spider-Man shirt or a Batman shirt, and like, oh fuck them, they're overrated. Let's go. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm up to here with Batman. Here, let's kill him. <laughs> 
Okay, so another one off the list. We'll cross that one off. No, I'm kidding. So it it does sound like there's a bit of a. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this the right way because I wanna. I do want to ask based on something you said. And I I, we said to you before the show, and 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 I mean it. This is not going to be an all Deadpool thing, but it does sound like there's a bit of a love hate relationship with the character at this point. There's not. What what I said before the show, which threw you guys off, is I said I've had Deadpool up to here. If we go a few more inches, I'm going to be underwater. What that means is that I feel like I've talked about it more than enough mm. uh, in my life and in, in multiple interviews and in multiple podcasts Sure, sure. for 30 years, especially over the last five, six, seven years or so. Um, it, 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 I would have been I would have preferred to talk about the character tr- a truckload more when I was writing the monthly cable and Deadpool book than I am talk about somebody else's movie you know what i mean so no, well yeah and, and for, I, don't, for... I i try I, I am it is a love hate but not even those aren't even the right words it, it's um it, it's a situation where i have used it to my advantage now that there's a, a certain mainstream cultural popularity to it mm. i've tried to use it to my advantage but almost all of that has been in the promotion of myself and or my new work you know so which, which I, definitely... I, just, I sold my first novel and it published last year. And, and the fact that I was co-creator of Deadpool meant something to the editors who were reading it at the different publishing houses. That wouldn't have been the case 10, 10 sure. years ago, 15 years ago, because they wouldn't have known who Deadpool is. Right. So, so clearly, I'm not denying that, that it's, it's an important aspect of, of my career, both past and moving forward future. But it's about the talking about, and, and I don't predicate my daily existence on, on uh, let me rephrase that. I don't want to predicate my daily existence on things I did 30 years ago. So I don't want to talk about the X-Men books and the X-Force books and Tate and Cable and Deadpool all the time because right. it's just exhausting. I want to talk about what I doing now what i'm going to be doing in the future and yes talk about this stuff mark hamill was asked are you tired of answering questions about star wars and his response was listen i love ice cream but i don't need it i don't want to eat it every day yeah and i think that really pretty much justifies that's a that's a great answer but i mean someone like mark who was unfortunately so typecast that you know he was so he's so known as a result of that and only that people don't even half the people wouldn't even know that he did the voice of joker on, on oh we do we we, we are, know, yeah but we because yeah. we're nerds but i'm talking about mainstream audience he's right there, there are people, there know? are probably and, people and that... he had a very limited uh, career in terms of film and television acting on screen, not as a voice guy because he was True. fantastic, but on screen because he'd been so typecast as, as Luke Skywalker. But I, I I wrote, I've written I think seventy comics that have Deadpool in it, and I've written well over a thousand comics. You know, yeah, no, and, we, and we, I, I have sold, I'd say I'm trying to do the math, maybe. 10 million or 14 million comics that have Deadpool in it. I've sold over a hundred million comics. So for me in a 35 year career, it's an incredibly relative body of work. You know, it's, it, it, it it is, it is minuscule in comparison to, to some of the other 
runs I've had in terms of quantity, which means the amount of time I've thought about the character, sure. the amount of time right. I've thought about the work. I wrote 75 issues of Thunderbolts, you know, and I yeah. wrote 50 issues of Cable and Deadpool. So right. you just sort of put that in perspective. What? Well, I- Go ahead, Rico. If you well, I was I was going to say, you know, excluding Deadpool for obvious reasons, do you have a favorite character you like to write? Uh, you know, write for. Um, more often than not, I, I try to really enjoy what it is I'm working on at the time. My favorite book, or that I'm most pleased with and proud of, is probably New Warriors. Um, uh, um, after that, quite honestly. Cable and Deadpool is, is probably top three, but but my Robin work with Tim Drake is right okay. up there. And that's for me personally, not, no. not not readers' perceptions or anything like that. For me personally, my one, two, three is probably um, New Warriors, Robin, slash Red Robin, and, mm-hmm. and Cable Deadpool. Um, Thunderbolts is in the top five, too, because I had such a long run on it. Um, did, so, did... so, so to me, the things I tend to be happiest with um of my own work or the things where there was a sense of longevity to it and, and i had an opportunity to to really kind of develop the the characters and the storylines over an, over an extended period of time i um i i i was looking for it in your in your because we i have a bunch of your your creds up and we certainly are interested in more than just you know your deadpool and deadpool cable days for sure and one of the things when I noticed you you worked on Robin is I and I'm wondering and I didn't have time to dig it out but I won a in fact 19 God, it's got to be 92 I want to say I won a signed copy of Robin Volume One Issue One like it's signed by everybody illustrators writers the whole I are you on that book because I didn't have time to pull it out and no, take no, it no, off. no 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 I, I I wrote I didn't I wrote Robin. I actually wrote the last nine issues of the regular monthly Robin okay. run. And then they, okay. they knowing that they were going to cancel the book and then they relaunched it as red Robin. Right. And all of that was right before new 52. Okay. Um, and okay. I wrote uh, red Robin was relaunched with Christopher Yost writing it. And then he left after issue 12 and Mike March, the editor asked me if I wanted to come back. And I absolutely did. Cause I loved Tim Drake. Uh, so I wrote that until they canceled that technically wasn't even really canceling they were ending the entire publishing line because they were starting in 52 sure um so so i could have kept writing tim drake for quite a long time because i really really enjoy the character a lot but um I, as as some of us say in the business we were new 52 uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard that basically term. like a yeah. very very painful proctology exam <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have actually heard that term in interviews before, so it's funny. Much you bigger than a up. finger. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, we, we did a, we did a, without getting into a whole thing and kind of like, uh, fluffing ourselves up, we did a, a, a pod play, like an old school radio style, radio play style thing, but we did it on the podcast and it was a, a original Batman script and the guy who wrote it had Tim Drake briefly in the story, he, he ultimately, I, people have heard it already, so it's no spoilers, but he ultimately ends up getting killed. But the one of the funniest moments of the entire process is we got the whole cast together and we're deciding, deciding on whether or not he should have actually made it Jason Todd instead of Tim Drake. And one of our, one of our actors says, 
Nobody likes Jason Todd. Why would you make it Jason Todd? It's got to be Tim Drake. Nobody likes Jason Todd. It was just this whole thing, and we all, and after it was delirium at that point, so we're just dying laugh, but it made me Jason, think of that. Jason's probably the, the Robin who should always get killed. Tim Drake's not the Robin. <laughs> yeah. He's used to it. Mostly because he's, he's probably too smart to get killed. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, But we, we also fucking cracked up just at the fact that Dick Grayson's name is Dick. Oh, my God. Yeah, the original... We, we, because the actor who is playing Batman is British, so he's also the obvious choice to play Alfred. So mm-hmm. I was, I think I was playing Dick Grayson, and he's just like Master Dick, and it just it, all of a sudden I'm four years old, just giggling like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's... of the ridiculousness of like Master Dick, like they wrote that shit, like fuck yeah, Martha. Well, it's you know, Dick. It really depends on your age because it's just a nickname of a different sure, time. Yeah, it was a, but why not Richard? incredibly common back in the in the 40s when, when they originally created it and it was it was completely comfortable and common all the way through the 70s um oh, yeah. it, it's it lost that it, it lost the um the the ability Innocence. to not have people crack up like their little four-year-old boys <laughs> sometime in the 80s but i mean <laughs> after that, after a while i got through it and then everyone else thought i was going to laugh every time so they started laughing we we made our bloopers for that show mastering dick because of how funny it was yeah um although i do i do appreciate that you found your inner adult and were able to power power your way through that yes i mean as a 30 year old i really had to fucking strive for you know to to find my maturity levels and he's not joking it took every ounce of what he has to get that to to happen but uh yeah let me know when you achieve it cj yeah yeah. um you know we we were looking over to your again to your point you you know deadpool such as a small portion of the overall arc of your your work and like rico will tell you we were sitting here together looking at some of the the titles and i was like oh god i have that book and i had like how much of your stuff that i actually own and i stopped collecting you know, a lo- it's got to be 20 years ago at this point, maybe longer, well, it, you know. It, it depends on your age, quite frankly. I mean, if, I'm 40, if, if you're I'm 42, if you're, 40, if you're yeah. roughly anywhere from 38 to 46 or so, that means you were roughly 10 to 16 mm-hmm. in the early 90s. And I was writing seven books a month for Marvel, you know, plus editing a regular line of titles. Um, and, and And that means that that a lot of people were buying the books that I was writing back then because I was selling over a, a million and a half copies of comics a month. That means that there are lots of kids sure. who were re- reading the books. So it, it, I, I've written a lot less in the, in the industry over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And much of that, much of that was purposeful on my part um, because I was just doing other stuff. I wanted to find other stuff to do because I, I know too many too many people who who put all their eggs in in one freelance basket, and pretty soon they have an empty basket. Right. You know, um, so so my my attitude was always to try to to try to do different kinds of work uh, on different platforms, so that I'm not solely beholden to to one company, Marvel, or one or two companies, Marvel DC, to for me to be able to earn my living. Uh, because quite frankly, writing comic books without royalties for successful sales which don't ex- really exist anymore writing comics is not that lucrative uh, sure. a living to, to to be making you have to be writing probably four titles a month to to earn 
a, a, a strong enough living to be able to pay your mortgage and to be able to pay your car payments and to, to, to save up to put your kids through college and all of that stuff. Um, and it's really, really hard to write four titles a month on a regular basis. Sure. Um, it, it was very different in the early 90s because we got in, we got royalty incentives on sales of the books and the books were selling tremendously well back. Yeah, that's not yeah. the case anymore. They don't sell enough to generate the kind of royalties that make that much of a difference in your in your monthly paycheck. You know, even with all the interest in the in the comic book movies, there's just not enough interest. And translated stuff, movies to comics success stopped translating in 1988 when the Batman movie led to tremendous sales success for for comic books in general, but Batman titles specifically. Um, there really has not been that kind of carryover. Much of that is because we limited our distribution to comic book shops only, uh, which is a whole nother matter and, and, uh, and a topic of discussion that would take 17 years to, <laughs> to go through. But, but by, limiting, by limiting your access to your product, um, it, to, to turning it into a destination sale, you have to go to the comic shop to go buy your comics. You know, mm-hmm. um, the minute they they were gone from supermarkets and candy stores and pharmacies and things like that, you lost your point of purchase sale with a little kid going, "Mommy, that's the character from the movie. I want to buy that comic." Right. You know, yeah. um, we haven't had that in 20, 25 years. Um, so trade paperbacks have helped in that capacity because a lot more bookstores started carrying trade paperbacks and hardcovers. So you have bigger sections of that. And, and, um, but there's not really the dedicated interested seller to try to lure customers to that in a bookstore. You, you either have to wander and find it, or you have to specifically, once again, be going there as a destination to buy it. So how many eight year old kids are wandering through Barnes and Noble graphic novels, trade paperback section. And, and quite frankly, of those kids, how many of them, can pick out the comic, uh, the trade paperback they may want when everything is facing you spine out and you can't even see a cover and you can't even see the dynamic art that might lure a kid in. Sure. So ultimately, we've just become an industry that, no offense, masturbates to, to 40 year old families. You know? No, no, not, well, none taken. <laughs> but also, the, do, do you think, uh, just to, to piggyback off that for a second, do you think things like comicsology and digi- the digital format also has hurt? In addition to the things you've you've listed, I think there. it's I think that's actually helped. I think the okay. digital formats have actually helped uh, expand the potential audience. But more importantly, the digital format is the the probably the best hope available of of getting a new generation of readers. That that new generation of readers exists. They're just not reading mainstream superhero comics. Sure, they're they're reading. They're reading a lot of manga. They're reading, reading a lot of romance and fantasy. That uh, they're going on a, 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 an app called Webtoon, which is the mm-hmm. world's largest digital yeah. vertical digital comic stro- scrolling site. I have a comic on that for the last couple of years, um, and more people have read this this comic I do on Webtoon called Outrage than anyone's read anything I've written for Marvel or DC in twenty years. Um, it has like 200,000 readers on a, on a regular basis when a new chapter drops. That's, that's tremendously more than, than even X-Men Legends number one, which came out last year that I wrote for Marvel, sold like 70,000 copies. Right. You know? And I wrote X-Men when it was selling 700,000 copies. So right. Look at the damn difference in 30 years. What's happened? Yeah. You know? 
What was it like to hang out with Stan Lee? I knew I knew you'd worked under him, and I was just I just I gotta ask, just as a geek and a fan. Well, Stan, what, Stan was California, don't forget. So we we didn't see him that often in New York. Um, right. I got to see him a lot more than the average New York office person might, because I did a lot of Marvel's presentations for distributor meetings right. and trade shows and licensing shows. And I, I did a lot of our, our onstage presentations and Stan was often a part of those kinds of things because he would be, he's, he's basically Marvel's brand ambassador even back yeah. then. So they'd bring him to schmooze, you know, and, right. and, and he's, he's a good, he was a good guy. He was interesting. I mean, he, there's a, there's the Stan persona you see when he's on and and that's ninety percent of the day for him because it, it, it's expected of him. Sure. But then there's the Stan Stan Stanley Lieber, who's just a guy, a regular guy, and and you 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 were able to see him. You were able to see more of those glimpses out of him when you'd spent when you had the opportunity, the good fortune of having some downtime with him. Sure. And I did. You know, I I got to have lunches or dinners with him usually in a group environment but that was that was the downtime stand you're 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 backstage with him and it's just four of you waiting to go on stage and we're just hanging out he's get he he knows he's going to be on in a minute so he's just he's just downtime stand you know that that, that was kind of cool because it, it 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 really gave you an automatic perspective on the realities of of the showbiz, you know, the realities of, of having to put on a show and, sure. and Stan, unfortunately often was trapped into the expectation we had of him to be putting on a show. And right. that, that, you know, that's exhausting too. That could be really uh, blind. I'm and sure at some point he was like, if I have to say Excelsior one more fucking time, I swear. Like, I, I, he had yeah, to. No, it, 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 no, he did say that kind of thing, but he said that backstage. He said that of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, you fucking true believers, I don't want to do this shit no more. I'm, I'm yeah. 117 and I'm only 80. Like, leave me alone. Yes, um, there was... There was, there were the opportunities to see the aside. We, we just go fucking pain in my ass. That's awesome. That's. I mean, that's, it's kind of like seeing like your grandpa like curse for the first time. Like, holy shit, grandpa, what the fuck? <laughs> no, you know? I gotta be honest with you. No, I um, I I, I worked on staff at Marvel for ten years. Uh, I started doing my freelance writing while I was on staff at Marvel. Um, so. One of the very first things that I did, I, I, I when I started working at Marvel, I went over to the editor of Marvel Age magazine, which used to be a monthly magazine Marvel mm-hmm. put out, which was basically just a, a, an extended version of the bullpen bulletins with interviews and articles about stuff we were doing and things. And I went to the editor, Jim Salakrup. I said, I have a little bit of um, newspaper experience, having done some work in high school and college on the newspaper. Uh, I'd love a shot at doing some Marvel Age articles. And he said, oh, great. Um, he assigned me something right then and there, which was to interview a guy, uh, one of the Ramita's Raiders, who are artists, who were basically apprentice artists in in, uh, in the bullpen who did work touching up corrections, any any quick art jobs that needed to be done. And that was their training ground to try to start getting work. And, and I, I, the list of artists who actually got became professional artists through Ramita Raider program, you know, is, is pretty, pretty long, but I interviewed this kid, this guy, Steve Geiger, who was a Ramita Raider. And I handed that article in and he goes, Oh, I got another assignment for you. Um, I need you to interview Stanley. <laughs> it's two weeks into my job. Wow. Oh my 
I'm on the phone with Stan Lee um, and I'm interviewing him for what became a Marvel Age cover feature. Um, it's a photo cover of Stan. I did the article. Um, and, and in that, even in that interview, we're talking and going back and forth. And he just he just went off on a, on a side and grumbled and cursed. And somebody <laughs> interrupted him in the office uh, out in California because we're on the phone. And, and he got pissed at the person interrupting him in the office. And I was 25 years old and I go, Okay, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Yeah. He's a regular guy. He's, yeah. you know, he 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 he's, he was an editor and a writer at at Marvel since 1940, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, is started as a gopher for 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 Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, just sharpening the pencils. I mean, they they would make fun of him because he was the kid who erased the the pencil pages to get right. after they were inked, you know. Right. And little by little, he just stayed with the company. So. It, it, it separates your perspective of him when you when you understand that he's just a guy who did a job who who latched on to a really smart way to promote the material and and promote himself and then he promoted himself a lot <laughs> yeah over the material and then certainly over the people he worked with on the material um but but ultimately he's of a generation where they and and you got to think of it this way, guys. Think about working for thirty years to work. Let's say nineteen thirty to nineteen or nineteen forty to nineteen sixty-five, seventy. Twenty-five, thirty years. You're working in an industry where you're not a hundred percent sure it's going to exist next year, mm-hmm. and 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 you've watched it go up and go down, and go up a little and go down, and go up a little bit and go down. You know, so. I mean, I I work at a video rental store, so I kind of get it. <laughs> get out, do you really? He does, yeah. yeah. No video rental stores left anymore, are there? In Oakland. Yeah, there's, there's one, one left. One left. Yeah. One. There's a few left in the country, aren't there? Yeah. How much business do you guys do? None. <laughs> well, no, you, you know, got your... I, I don't don't you take this the wrong way. You may need to find a new... Jobs, yes. What, yeah. what do you think we're doing? This is it. We're trying to, yeah. Okay. Because I'm not a hundred percent confident this video rental thing is gonna is gonna stick through the you know the next year. To be fair, it's not my store. I was just a manager and a clerk for a you know for a while. But like being such a big movie buff, I'm in my element. So I can I can mm-hmm. get another. I can get two jobs, and I can you know, and I can you know fucking type and you know or i could work at safeway or whatever the fuck and i could also be like hey i got to go to a place where people to ask get to ask me hey what would you recommend my opinion and matters your, your your thoughts on and you can translate that to this obviously so it works really well too right but I, just, I mean i don't recommend you open up your own as an owner no fuck that <laughs> <laughs> uh, no but- i see what my boss would do every day i mean like he doesn't listen to me i'm always like hey maybe you shouldn't spend a hundred dollars on a bunch of dvds that we don't fucking need he's yeah. just like well, well we'll see and i'm like no you don't do that so yeah but well you know what it's interesting in our in our field whether it be movies or records or or or, or comic books Many owners have a collector's mentality, not a businessman's mentality, right? I mean, so they're thinking about yeah. it like a collector, you know. Yeah. And often they treat their business like they they would treat their own collection, and they're not often the same thing, you know. 
true. You know, and, and I, I've, I've actually had that conversation with him about that. I'm just like, this is not your clubhouse. This is not your, this, this shouldn't be considered your collection. If this was your collection, you wouldn't be letting letting other people them. walk out the door with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then damaging it. And then like, not charging them. Like, you know, yeah, can you imagine if someone could like just walk into your house and just pull a comic off your rack <laughs> Just like borrow it from from your house. And it, it, this is... I mean, if, if they were taking like the latest Fabian Nasea, you know, Nasea comic, then that's fine. You know, it's all right. Let they, them take that. Yeah, they could take that one. They're going to sell it for a tremendous profit, though. Like it's, it could be worth almost a buck twenty-five, a buck fifty. <laughs> so they only they only cost like a buck back then. So you're automatically making like twenty-five to fifty percent markup. There you go. So. The, the fact that you and I can, that we all three of us can banter with each other and have such a great time. We mentioned this early uh, on the pre-intro, but like the reason we're all here together is because you and CJ were giving each other some shit on Twitter about the Winter Soldier. Do you remember why we're all here? No, I do not. I don't remember what instigated it. So you, <laughs> you had put out a post asking the general question, what Marvel movie... Do you go back and watch now that? Oh, well, that's right. I remember that t- that tweet I did. Yeah, and I responded with Captain S- Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and you basically said, "Well, it's good that you're wrong." That's not what you said, but that's essentially the vibe that you know you you gave off on the answer was that you're just you were wrong. That movie's fantastic from the beginning, and I. I I left it alone at that point. I was like, I'm. I I looked at. I saw the check mark. I tapped on your name. I'm like, I am not going to win a fight with this guy. There's no way. There's no. Well, the the the, the important part of that CJ is no one is ever going to win any fight on Twitter. <laughs> sure, that's true. That's very that's true. The, well, I, that's not true because I jumped in and then after you and I went through a banter back and forth, I DM'd you. I was like, Hey, you're a real good sport. Do you want to come on the podcast? And then, so then I'd like to yeah. say we won an argument. We, we won, won the a Twitter. fucking argument. Yeah, and and any declaration I make on Twitter for future reference for anyone listening and you guys too, anything I say on Twitter has a self-deprecating winky face attached to it automatically. Sure. So if I if I respond coldly to you, I'm just I'm just I'm just poking. You know, you know? D- despite, you know, the fact that you've done all these other things, if you just indulge me for like 30 seconds, you know, when I saw co-creator of Deadpool, I was like, all right, well, then I because I understand enough of that character to know that, OK, well, that's there's got to be a little bit of you in that character. So when I got that response, I was like, all right, well, this is no, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that, like, when mm-hmm. a writer writes, they put a some of themselves in it. So when I saw that, it was like, all right, this, the, I, the, the, the thing you talked about, about the, the, the implied winky face, like I knew it immediately. That's why I didn't, I was like, I'm going to lose this battle and it's worth losing and just leave it there. You know, Well, and, if you're going to sit here and tell me you had to go back to watch winter soldier in order to appreciate it, then I'm just going to, you're going to lose that. Well, battle. and uh, what, it, what it, it what should it? have been savored from the very beginning. <laughs> Fair enough. It's my favorite. It's my favorite Marvel Marvel movie. And it, 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 you know, so I'm always gonna I'm always gonna like sure. over 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 hype it and over push it. Is it your favorite Marvel movie because it's the least Marvel movie? It's essentially no, no, a no, it's 70s. my favorite Marvel movie because I think it's the best movie they made. I okay. think it's the best. Uh, it's the best script. The best um, three act structure. 
the, the, the best direction. I thought that the, the, the Russo brothers direction was like getting hit by a baseball bat. It was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. They up, they up the ante for how Marvel movies were being directed because even before that point, it was a very static camera point of view and very safe kind of shots that, that we were being given. The Russo brothers brought in a, a huge variety of camera movements and mm-hmm. tricks into the telling of their story. And I thought it, it worked phenomenally well because of the type of movie it was, the subject matter, the, mm-hmm. the, the 70s espionage spy vibe, you know? Yeah. Um, is that it, how I phrased it? CJ? That is, like, it's lit- almost exactly it's how you phrased it. Yeah. literally how I phrased it. I, yeah. So that makes you watch me... watch it again and you just watch the tracking shots when during the car chase sequences and all that stuff. When they got wheel-mounted cameras that are rolling and, and, and you're following the action from higher level, which doesn't happen that often with car chases, you know what I mean? In that, in that yeah. Capacity. It was a lot of fun. I, I really, really... And I thought the fight scenes were really pretty well choreographed, too. And and what I think just just to touch on that real quick, Fabian, what what when when I had the different opinion than I do now, because I share your perspective now from and that was the crux of your question was what did you what's changed you know, what one changed the mm-hmm. most for you and, and that was it. Is that I I Rico and I have this this discussion on the show all the time because him being the collector as you see behind him and working in the yeah. video store and all that I appreciate movies. I enjoy it, but I come into it very much from just, okay, give me the popcorn, give me the movie, and let me sit down and enjoy the film. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't always get into it as deeply as Rico does. Now, I have more in the three years we've been doing this show just as a byproduct of the fact that we this is what we do every week. But, you know, and and so... I, I, the first viewing of Winter Soldier for me, I don't think of stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? I, you, you bring up I all valid I, points. No, I totally get it. And I yeah. think, and especially for what you guys do, I think that's a fantastic sort of a, of a back and forth to have. Yeah. Uh, because each side needs to be aware and understand the other person's perspective. Rico has to understand and, and acknowledge, which a lot of people who are, in, um, immersed in a genre or in a, in a platform like movies or radio or music, whatever, you know, um, that they lose sight of the general audience's um, um, almost virgin exposure to something. Uh, we get so into the, the, the nuts and bolts and details and, and stuff like that, that we lose sight of the fact that for the most part, it's being made for you, CJ, like the person right. just sitting there going to watch a movie. It's not made for someone who's looking to take apart tracking shots <laughs> and, and discuss and the three-act structure of the screenplay, the, you know? <laughs> the irony in that, though, is that, and, and you wouldn't know this based up to this point, but I, I, I am a passionate music lover. Like to the point that Rico is about movies. So whenever we have a discussion mm-hmm. about a song, it's it's one hundred eighty degrees the other direction. I'll be like, "Well, they played this riff in this time, you know." And, and like, because I hear that stuff, and he's like, eh, "It was all right," you know. Like, and so yeah. it, it. Oh, it, like, it was no Frank Sinatra. Calm yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you know. know. <laughs> um, I I wanted to to go back to something you said, uh, Fabian. You were talking about how you'd written. Uh, the articles for the 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 Marauder. If if I heard you right on the the, the Marvel Age, Mar- Marvel Age. Sorry, Marvel um, Age magazine. Yeah, 
And I don't want to get into it's not about the comic thing, but I know you have the degree in public relations and and whatnot. So when you were coming out of college, did you, did you want to be a journalist? What were you? What was your no, aim I, coming um, out? When I got, when I got out of college, I tried to get a job in advertising and PR. Okay. Um, and one of the drawbacks is that any any entry level position in Manhattan at that time in advertising or PR really required you to be uh, to be able to type uh, at a secretarial level, which mm. I couldn't do because I, I, I was a hunter pecker and I typed fast, but I couldn't type professionally. Right. Um, so I wasn't able to get a job in that field for the first few months out of college. I even interviewed at Marvel NDC out of college, uh, right out of college. I got, I, I actually, I interviewed twice at Marvel and twice at DC. So I was in contention moving moving through the interview process, but other people with more experience right, rightfully got those jobs. Mm. Um, so I took the first job that I got offered, which was in a book book publishing company, um, Berkeley Publishing, which was the paperback mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. sister company of Putnam Publishing, which did the hardcover. Yep. This was 40 years ago, guys. So it's way before the days of, of consolidation of publishers. Penguin, Penguin Random House ended up buying everybody, including mm-hmm. Putnam. Um, so I, I worked there in the production department first, and then I moved up to managing editorial. And I was there for two years. And as often happens in publishing, I found out that the sister, uh, the a friend of a friend at Putnam has a sister who works at Marvel, and she's looking to hire an assistant in the manufacturing department. And I was curious about it, so I applied. She interviewed me. And she offered me the job. And besides the fact that it was Marvel and I really, really did want to work there, um, it was also publishing, which pays crap. And they were offering me like $3,500 more than what I was making. Oh, wow. And, it, and for what I was making, $3,500 more might have as well have been $100,000 yeah. more because yeah. we, were, we were getting paid so little back. Um, so that's one of the main reasons I took the job was because it was more money. But the other reason was I wanted to get my foot in the door at Marvel. And I got my foot in the door at Marvel. And four months later, I found out that the guy who got the job instead of me back in 1983 was looking to hire an assistant because his workload was so tremendous. And he was the public, he was the promotions manager for Marvel. And and I interviewed for that job and he hired me to be his assistant. I took a pay cut to move over to that department Mm. because I wanted to be in the promotions advertising field because that's where I went to college for. And that's where I thought I might really have a chance to make my mark at Marvel internally in the offices. This is way before I even thought about writing. That was a down the road thing for me. Okay. So, okay. He he was getting he didn't know this at the time, but when he was hiring me, he was having a boss hired above him. And automatically, just like that, in a three-week span, we became a department. Mm. We became the promotion publicity department. There was a director. His name was Mark Erickson. There was the Steve Saffel, the promotion manager. There was me, the promotion assistant. There was a publicity manager, a publicity director whose job was to do the press releases. So who she was already there. We just consolidated into a little mini department. Within a year... Um, the, my boss, Mark decided to separate the functions that Steve had and I had, and I became advertising manager for Marvel and he remained promotions manager for Marvel. So Steve's job was to deal with all the, all the trade magazines back then and trade press, all the conventions, 
all, all publicity to the trade magazine and trade press. And my job was to create all of the advertising for Marvel Comics in Marvel Comics, like the house ads that appeared in the books back then, all the promo posters that we sent out to retail shops, all the Some sell sheets, great. all the flyers, all the giveaways we did at conventions. That was my job. That was my nine to five job. And it was while I was doing that job on staff, which was great because I was working where I wanted to work, doing what I went to college to do. You know? Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah. so while I, it, it was while I was doing that job that I got to know all the editors, I got to un, get to know them better, understand their preferences, what they were looking for in, in a story, what they liked, didn't like. And then I started to slowly sell inventory stories, um, which was back then Jim Shooter had a rule that every comic had to have a completed issue sitting in the drawer, totally done, Le- penciled, ink, inked, lettered, colored waiting in case the schedule broke down because he when jim shooter took over as editor-in-chief marvel was in a in a in a mess of production problems with late books everywhere missing missing newsstand shipping and back then if you miss your, your slot in the newsstand you didn't you didn't get to ship a week later two weeks late you lost your chance for three you know for the whole cycle before for four weeks before the next shipment went out so it was important to get all the books out on time because at that time newsstand and direct market was still a 50 50 mm-hmm. split in terms of revenue for the company direct market really took off and became a much much greater part of that it ended up being like 70 30 80 20 by the early 90s um but newsstand still was selling a lot of comics back sure. then, so you want to miss that 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 slot so that's how i broke in as a writer on staff by selling inventory stories to editors who needed to have the stuff set in the drawer. Um, and, and and I kept doing my nine to five job as advertising manager while I wrote more and more comics freelance and started to get monthly assignments after that. Like my first monthly gig was a new universe comic called Sci Force. And that when that, that whole line got canceled, my my next I didn't get a monthly comic again for like two more years, which was New Warriors. Um, and, and once New Warriors hit, that really changed my career trajectory because it was far more likely that I was going to have an opportunity to succeed as a writer more so than I was going to have an opportunity mm-hmm. to succeed and advance internally on staff. Right. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I just started writing more and eventually by 94, 95, I went full-time freelance as a I um I I just have to ask tell you this because I think you'll find this entertaining because most people don't know what this is but my first book period that I comic book that I got into was a Marvel book and it wasn't your traditional Spider Man X Men those books my first book was Dark Hawk okay and my I good friend Danny yeah Danny finger up writing Mike Manley is the artist there I met <laughs> I met I met Mike and actually have an original piece of art that he drew for me. So I, oh, I, and, cool. I st- and I still have that. It's one of the few things I saw. But yeah, and uh, I love that run. And, and he was actually on a team briefly with, uh, I believe it was Wolverine and Doctor Strange. It was the new, the not the new Avengers. Oh, God. I mean, that was, I, luckily, that was as I was leaving Marvel. Uh, I think that was so, called the Secret Defenders or something. That might be it. it. Yeah, but, I think that was it. Yeah. yeah so, um, but it, and the, the book only ran, I want to say like five years, which I guess is right around. No, it didn't even run that long. No. It, the, the five years would be 60 issues. Secret Defenders did not run. No, no, no. I meant I meant Dark Hawk, not not. Oh, Dark Hawk did. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Dark Hawk ran ran about sixty issues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Rico Rico's disgusted with us right now. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> I 
I have resting bitch face and resting bitch voice. Uh, he does. He does. I can I can attest to that. I've never um, heard a resting bitch voice. Before. Oh, he. Ask, CJ will frequently text me after we're done recording, be like, "Are you mad at me? Like, did I do we something?" Good? And I'm yeah, like, like, yeah. No, um, dude, I'm Italian. I just I just RBV. Sound, it's just RBV. I just sound like I'm always in a bad. Like, I literally had this debate with with my girlfriend. I was cooking, and she's like. Uh, do you mind if I have some of this? I'm like, babe, I don't, I don't care. Whatever you, whatever you want to do is fine with me. That's all I was trying to say was whatever you want is all you. And, and it came out. I don't give a fuck what you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. Like, I don't yeah. just fucking eat your food. I'm just like, no, man, whatever you want. I I always try to be nice, but I sound so annoyed. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. Rico. <laughs> Well, I was born and raised in Oakland, California. To an Italian oh, God, not, Rico. <laughs> yeah. not, not this stuff again. I um, work at a fucking video store. What I, else do you need to know? I, I know there's other things that we want to get to, but there is something that, that, we ha- that I know Rico wants to talk about, and I don't want to lose time on that. Uh, Rico, you, you bought something this week, and I don't know if you have it in arm's length, but okay, yeah. <gasps> and, you bought the British version. Excelente. Way to I, go. I did. <laughs> yeah, that's the UK. That's Titan Books UK version. It's hey, the um, they do they do paperback versions like trade paperback versions. Mm. Uh, Putnam in the US, uh, Northwest in North America did the hardcover version, which gotcha. is totally cool. I could you know it's all great for me. I love it. Well, I mean, this is how we pay you to be on a guest on our shows. We I buy your fucking thing, book. Yeah, no. that, you but, know what? That sounds like great payment to me. I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> but I have to admit something because I didn't know you had written a book. When I bought this, I thought it was a comic. So you're just such a moron. <laughs> I am. I absolutely am. I, I just wasn't paying attention. I'm like, all right, let me look it up. Suburban Dicks. All right. Amazon. Great. I don't want to fucking do it on Kindle. I, I prefer paper. I like smelling the pages, you know, like, he does, and so I'm yeah. like, all right, fucking paperback. Fine. I get this. I'm like, it's a 400 page book, but, yeah. but there's words and sentences and paragraphs and everything. No, 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 I love to read. I'm on page 180. He does, yeah. Excellent. Like, he, I got this, like, four days ago, and I've read 180 pages. I love it, man. It's I a appreciate really it. It's a, it, is a, it is a pretty, um, it, it, I've been told that it is a pretty breezy, comfortable read, but some of the subject matter is uncomfortable. So the more it progresses, the less comfortable the subject matter gets. But I, I, um, I, I worked... I, I worked pretty damn hard on that sucker. Um, I don't blame you, man. But like, it, the book it, was more work than I than, than I expected, and more work <laughs> than I thought it would. Um, it, it took it took a lot of work to to um, to hone it to the point where it read smoothly. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I um before the manuscript was delivered to publishers, I I, I had to cut out well over a hundred something pages of manuscript, but it was bad manuscript for the most part. It was, it was repetitive copy. It was ex- extended verbiage that wasn't necessary. Uh, I, I, I really, really had to work hard to keep trimming and cutting and cutting. And, and I cut some bone out of it, things I, I wish I, I had been able to keep, but the publisher had a page count they preferred, which meant I had to get my manuscript, you know, to a certain page count in order to make that publishing sure. page you know, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to I I definitely was hooked by page one, but there 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 is a flow from time to time where it's like like there there are chapters that just 
fucking grab you. And then there's chapters where like, I mean, it's still funny. It's I'm still entertained. And you kind of have to go through the exposition to see. Yeah, it's not. Going. Yeah, it, it's not an adventure movie. You know, it, no. it, it's um, it, it's it's and the setting is kind of a droll setting because it's set in the suburbs of New Jersey. So it's not exactly like an action packed dynamic setting. So the 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 truth of the matter is that the characters were going to carry you through the narrative and it was going to sink or swim on the strength of the characters. And, it, you know, the reviews have been really, really good. The sales have been real solid, not bestseller numbers, but it's a first novel uh, and it's a mystery at that. But um, but the, the 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 response has been really, really positive overall. And, and part of that is because they readers really became engaged to the characters um, and I agree. I I absolutely love Andy. Uh, she's hysterical. The fact was there a bit of a Fargo influence in her character? Just on no, I had no because I had the original idea before Fargo. Um, the, the oh, you've had you've had this yeah, idea for a long time. Nineteen ninety five. Um, wow. I I came up the the book idea was predicated on real life stuff that was happening to me. Um, um, we uh, I lived I lived in the house she lives in back then. And we had a gun club on the other side of a pond and the uh, gun club had been there for 50 years. Um, and they occasionally were nice enough to lob bullets our way. Um, and, and we tried to fight them through the town council to eliminate outdoor shooting, uh, not, not their indoor shooting, but their outdoor shooting. Right. Um, and we lost in the town council. So a friend of mine who's a writer was a writer for Marvel back then, Len Kaminsky, <laughs> In the office, he knew what was going on. And in the office, he told me, you know, I know a guy who could burn it down. And he was 100% serious. <laughs> well, that's... And I thought, I remember to this day when he said that to me, I looked at him and there was that split second moment where I'm thinking, I go, no, 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 Len, I'm not, I'm not going gonna to burn him down. I'm not, I'll get my revenge my own way. And my well, own I way go was full com Jersey? coming up with a story. So yeah. the initial impetus of the story is what if something were found out that they had done years ago that will end up closing them down. It'll cast them in such a bad light. It'll close them down. And then the, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Then it evolved well beyond that. And I had, but I had the idea for the characters. I had the title of the book. I had the rough beginning, middle and end laid out in 1995. And I tried writing it a couple of times and I just didn't like my own work. I didn't think it was that good. Um, and, and in 2017, because I noticed that a lot of different peers of mine were, were writing books, I, I, I used the best, for me, the best creative impetus that there is, anger and jealousy. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I decided I'm going to try to see if I can write this thing. And I started writing it, and I didn't think it was as bad as I originally had remembered some of my attempts to be. Um, and I gave it to a couple of people to read the first few chapters and they were super encouraging. So I said, okay, I'm going to keep going. And I ended up going through all of 2018 until I finished the first draft of the manuscript. And it wasn't the only thing I was writing. So there were some days I only wrote like one or two days a week on the book because I was doing other paid work. Right. Uh, this had no destination. I didn't have an agent to sell it. I didn't have a publisher who was interested in it. Um, and, and then I ended up being able to secure an agent who ended up um, being able to present it to top level editors at multiple top level publishing houses. And mm -hmm. in November of um, November of 2019, uh, it, it went to it, it ended up going to auction because multiple publishers wanted it. 
um, which was like, ah, I couldn't believe it. It was like absolute right. fire. You know, I'm running around the house naked, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, and and, um, and and based on the offers we were getting, I decided uh, to go with the, the offer that Putnam Publishing was giving me. Uh, it was a two book deal at that point. Um, and, and part of the reason I wanted to go with Putnam is because I worked for Putnam Berkeley in 1980, 83. And I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. My first novel was going to be published by the company I worked for 40 years ago. You know, that is the Berkeley paperback version of suburban Dix is going to come out in the United States in May. Uh, and just knowing that it's going to say Berkeley on the side of the spine is kind of cool because that's where I worked when I got out of school. You know, um, I, that being said, I do have to ask you how the fuck do you pronounce Satku's name? Satkunananthan Sasma? Yeah, like that. Bless you. Satkunananthan Sasma. Satkunananthan Sasma. Okay. Satkunananthan Sasma. I saw that name in a phone book. Like After I'd come up with the idea for the book, probably like maybe early 2000s, I saw that name in a phone book. And I remember thinking to myself, that's got to be the name of the guy that gets killed in the book I haven't written and may never write. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I, I never forgot the name. I wrote it down and I kept it. And and it was always going to be that name just because I thought it was such a cool name when I saw it in the phone book. Well, the interesting thing is, is I looked up that name to see, like, where, one, where the hell does that come from? It's actually a Sri Lankan name. Yeah, I got it out of a phone book. But the the main result that comes up when you look it up is a woman named Ambika Sakunanathan, and she's a human rights lawyer and advocate. And I thought it was weirdly, like, copacetic, the fact that, because this book is all about immigrant injustice and bigotry and, and, and all that. Actually, you know, that does, that, that sounds... That's giving me far more credit than I deserve. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, like, I mean, the fact that you're just like, "Hey, I found a phone book." That's fine I, too. If you can send me that information, I'll I'll steal it and I'll use it and pretend that it's what I had in mind all along. Oh but no, we're releasing this. Truth of the matter is, mistake. I just happened to see the name in a phone book and I go, "Cool." Hey, remember <laughs> everything that we said off camera? Hey, we'll edit shit for you. Not gonna happen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. No, and, and Rico, when we started doing our research to get ready for today, tonight, we, you know, I saw that the book existed and I just knew I'm not as fast of a reader as Rico. It's not that I don't. And, and I honestly don't enjoy reading as much as I used to. And that's my that's my problem. That's my my thing that I need to to probably correct but no, like you know what i always i found it's been an ebb and flow that I, I i stopped listening to music 20 years ago and just recently started listening to music again you there know you I, I i didn't read fiction books for 15 years almost and and when i sold this manuscript i started reading fiction books again it, it, it's and i've been devouring fiction books ever since and it's right. just like this ebb and flow sure about about often about your interests and your attention span and, and what life is putting on our shoulders. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, but I, but I had read the, the description. I was like, all right, this does sound interesting. Like it's something I do want to check out. And then Rico says he, he bought it unbeknownst to me. And he's like, dude, cause R- Rico's favorite thing to do to me, or one of his favorite things to do to me, I think is, when there's something set in New Jersey or Philadelphia, because I'm slightly further south in Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, just outside Philly, he's like, dude, you should love this because it's Philly-based or it's Jersey-based. And the amount of things that 
I don't give a fuck about that are Jersey or Philly based astounds him. So, but the point is that he was like, dude, this is suburb Jersey. And I, I, I jokingly, cause if I've read the, if I read the information right, you've lived basically your whole life in New Jersey, maybe with the, with the, I know you were since, since I was about, um, since 1968. So since I was seven years old, so you're, you're kind of familiar that there's like a South Jersey, North Jersey, like, Civil. Totally, I'm yeah. right. In, I'm stuck in the middle. Yeah, I, I'm you, actually. You I are, actually yeah. moved from from like the East Brunswick Old Bridge area, a little further south to the Trenton Lawrenceville mm-hmm. Princeton area. So I, I actually, I actually took a step over the line into Philly territory. Yeah, which and I did that in 1988 because my wife used to work for the state government, so okay. she wanted to be closer to the office, and I sure. commuted into Manhattan, so I wanted to be near a train station. Right, so that's yeah. why we ended up in this yeah. area. And I was stunned when I saw I was surrounded by Philadelphia Eagles jerseys and Philadelphia Phillies caps. I was like, "What the hell? I just I just moved like twenty minutes. What the, what happened?" No, it, it so really. You, I got you, used to it though. I, I I am on the cusp between New York and Philly. You are fandoms. you are. I mean, obviously, I don't know your exact address, but if I if I'm inferring correctly, you're just south of the Mason Dixon line of New Jersey. You're just yes, there. And, yes, and, I am. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, but, um... it, it's, but I can see the hope just a little bit north of me. I can see the intelligence just a <laughs> oh, little bit north on. of me. I can see the culture, the the, oh, the love of art. God. That's how Americans feel line. about Canadians. I can see, yeah, I can you, see it. You I, know, I, I, I instead I, though. I was gonna feel bad about am. my my next statement, but now I don't. Surrounded um, by a bunch of dr- pickup truck drivers uh, with Confederate flags on the back of their no, trucks it's and nuts. Philadelphia Eagle flags alongside it. Well, Fabian, it's been great having you on the show. You have a great <laughs> night now, and uh, <laughs> um, but I, I I I I'm done. Go ahead, Rick. What, what's what's your <laughs> A South Jersey. Let me tell you all about where I'm from, Jersey. Like, no, oh, man. yeah, there's a, there is a South and there is a South Jersey. There's not technically as much a North Jersey, Central and Central and North, but there is absolutely a difference in the state. It really is kind of divided. Yeah. Um, well, there is a, a there is a different state. accent too. Oh yeah. I don't know. I, I I when I first came, I learned how to speak English in Queens. New York. So yeah, well, that, well, that's I mean, always, that's, I that's, always have that inflection in my voice because I learned my, I didn't know English when I came to this country. So, you know, I think first grade, kindergarten and first grade were here in the United States. Um, and that's when I learned how to speak English. I, I actually don't remember that much of that time period because my brain was transitioning from one language to another. I, I don't remember details until I started second grade. And by then I already spoke English fluently. So I have no idea how that happened in my head, like that processing of the language quickly. I know comics helped because we were reading, we were reading comic books, my brother and I, and that really helped us learn how to read English faster. You know? So you didn't, you didn't learn the King's language. You learned the Queen's language is what you're yes. saying. Language. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> Well, man, I, I love your book. I'm I'm really uh, interested in where it's going to go, and and I and I it's very much a a book that needs to be read now with all the intolerance and bigotry that's kind of resurged in in our country and ultimately our world, but especially our country. It it does feel relevant. Um, the 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 weird thing is like as I was reading it, and I know it's presumably set 
modern times. It's yeah. weird to read something that ha- doesn't have COVID. Yeah, no, it was written before COVID, first of right. all. But second of all, I, most of us smartly made the choice to avoid having to deal with that in our in our work. You, you, television just tried it a little bit when they all came back after the initial break, and they realized real quick this doesn't work. We can't play this mask thing. We can't. It doesn't work visually on screen for for you. And I think the audience doesn't. The audience doesn't need to be reminded of their daily existence mm-hmm. by watching it on screen. I, I think the audience is going to be more interested in in getting entertainment that gives them an opportunity to just not think about that. You know, th- think about the murder mystery while you're reading the book. You don't have to think about whether it, you need to it, wear masks or have a vaccine or any of that stuff. No, it, you know? it was definitely not a criticism. It was just like, I, just like wearing a mask and then like you go to a function where people are not wearing a mask. It's weird. You're like, why is uh-huh. no one? That's all it was. It was like, I was reading. I'm like, when the fuck is COVID going to hit? Like, when, what's going on? Like, this it's weird to imagine. I'm like, I know it's fictional, but like, it's also it's real. It's set in New yeah, Jersey. It, so. I, I've read a bunch of recent books by authors. Not a single one of them mentioned COVID. And I made that choice when I wrote my second book, which comes out in June, which is basically a sequel to this one. I um I avoided all of that stuff. And my editor and I talked about it a little bit before I started writing the second book. And I just, I said, listen, my personal perspective, my preference is I don't want to deal with this in my fiction. I don't, sure. I, I got to deal with this in my real life. Let me just enjoy writing my fiction and the people I'm writing. I, it, it, it could, it, if I don't care, it takes, it takes place in an alternate earth, New Jersey. I don't care. You know, <laughs> um, I, I just think that people, and, and for me, TV, TV especially really um, reinforced that, that, that my, my gut call was okay because TV tried many shows tried to act as if they were depicting today's situation. Many actors and in, in scenes were had the masks on for the first for the first several episodes of these shows all came back last year. Mm-hmm. Now he, not a single one of them does. Law and Order. See. Like I remember watching like Law and Order. I'm like, everyone's wearing a mask. This is like legit. They, they, they don't now. They stop. Yeah. yeah. Every shows. NC my wife was watching NCIS and I remember them yep. a scene where they're all walking and taking off their masks. That's all done. They're they're done because they realize that that it, it's an impediment it's an impediment to depicting their story. It's a distraction from their story. Sure. Not only that, on television, you want to see the people's faces. You want sure. to see them walking. You don't want to cover half their face up. Some of these people, you're paying a lot of money for the way they look. So what the hell are you going to want to cover up half their face? You know. I mean, we cover a lot of superheroes' faces, and we still go to. That's see that. different. That's part of a genre trope. That's part of what makes them who they are. I was, God, it would be funny if the superhero costumes all switch now and the mask were from the nose down, but everything above is stuff you could see. So I, I mean, I, it would I, be it would be kind of like this, essentially. It would be, yes. And that's yeah. silly. I still know it's you, Rika. <laughs> because of my resting bitch eyes. Yeah, yeah yes. Yes. Um I, I when we were looking at your your again, things that you you've you've written and I was on your website specifically and it is listed under comics, but there's a section that actually looks like a list of movies. Have you done some script doctoring or No, I um I, I've done uh I've done a lot of um what's called franchise development. Okay. Um for Hollywood studios, toy companies, video game companies, um and that that 
generally entails working on um, development of franchise Bibles. So uh, a, a movie like Pirates of the Caribbean comes out and it's hugely successful, but Disney has a no real understanding of why it was hugely successful. Realize that, that, that there's a tremendous um, disparity within the company about how people perceive of Pirates of the Caribbean between the movie and what's existed in their theme parks for 30 years, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the pirates from the ride, you know, and they're totally different kind of story worlds. They're totally different looks. They're totally different everything. And they need to reconcile that before it becomes a runaway train and they can't, or, or, or you know, runaway horses, you got a herd, you know? Um, so the a company I was working with freelance was hired to help create the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise Bible for Disney. And it's, it, it's a kind of a combination of a DK encyclopedia um, uh, or a Marvel Universe handbook and a, a brand narrative statement mm. so that you're basically teaching the company personnel um, what their franchise is all about. And then they can use that document as a template to to give it to licensors, to anyone else working on the property, any new content being developed by by book publishers or comic book publishers or video game guys. Um, And that franchise Bible was so successful internally at Disney. And we're talking about pretty big damn documents. The the initial Pirates of the Caribbean one was over 600 pages Mm. of content. And then the, the, the sequels that ended up being over 800 pages of content. Right. 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 Um, and and, and it's work that takes place over the course of a year or more. We worked on Pirates for almost three full years. Um, and then we ended up doing the same thing for a lot of different um, uh, studios on a lot of different uh, film properties, including like Men in Black and and um, and uh, I'm blanking out on my brain. Amazing Spider-Man for Sony and Men I- in Black. I had a question um, about one of them specifically, not because it, it, it ends up being one of my favorite franchises that's not as well known as, say, like a Pirates or even Spider-Man, right? It, it's Tron. But we're talking about a yeah. movie that at that point, if it's the first one, is what, got to be 35 years old or so, right? Yeah, so, no, we were brought in We were brought in um, when they decided that they were going to do the sequel. Uh, we'd already done okay. Uh, two or three jobs for Disney at that point. And they, they asked us to work on developing a franchise Bible for the sequel okay. that incorporated the original along with the sequel. Okay. So we were on set. We were on set when they were filming the sequel. Um, we, we, we gave them story notes, but they nine times out of 10, they would ignore our story sure. notes. And quite frankly, that's their prerogative, but it was to their detriment. Um, cause we would, we would, because of the way we worked, it's several creative people working together to try to, to try to analyze what's working and not working in something. Um, and our job with Tron though, was to get all of Disney's different, um, different, uh, uh, uh uh, silos, you know, animation, multi, multi, multiplayer online games, book publishing, feature film, get all of their silos to look at Tron and divvy it up so that they all had pieces of the franchise without contradicting each other or stepping on each other's toes. So I did a presentation in front of like 35 Disney heads. It was the weirdest thing. Like 50, 60 people come into a giant conference room 
they've all worked for the same company, many of them for 10, 20 years. Some of them haven't seen each other in six, seven years because they've worked in different buildings, different departments. The animation guy hadn't seen the video game guy in like eight years. Hey, how you been? And, I'm, and, and I basically walked, I had a bunch of easels all around the conference room and I walked through the Tron story timeline, mm. starting from the Jeff Bridges original movie to the difference between real time and Tron time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Tron time's accelerated. Yes. So we had two different timelines go around the room and talked about what happened in the real world timeline and what happened in the Tron timeline that gets us to the point of the sequel, which was all, you know, around the circle at the other end of the circle. And it was kind of cool because where Pirates of the Caribbean was, was, a sausage grind of trying to get them to understand the very ideas of uh, a, a story world and a franchise narrative that can exist on multiple platforms and can work in cohesion as opposed to working against each other, mm -hmm, you sure. know, um, or contradicting each other. By the time we got to Tron, the different department heads were like just picking the places they wanted to be. Like, oh, I want to do, we want to do that. Okay, animation gets this. And right. Everyone left the meeting totally jazzed because everyone got their own slice of the pie. Nice. You know, um, the sad part about it is that I knew that the Tron movie wasn't going to be that good because the script wasn't that good. And we had, we were, we were really frustrated because everything they were doing from a company standpoint was, was finally right after five, six years, you know? Right. But they were doing it in the service of a movie that was really flawed. Well, that, and as a result, Disney sort of abandoned that approach when they shouldn't have, but they abandoned that approach. And, and to this day, they haven't really picked it up because mm. they ceded all of that to Marvel's Marvel Studios on one side and Lucasfilm on another side. Right. And they've even they, they've even yeah, Pixar is in a weird situation at Disney right now. But anyway, that the, they kind of let let them be and let them handle that. You haven't seen these kinds of franchise movies coming out of Disney proper in a little while. Yeah. Uh, they just tried with the Jungle Cruise movie, but that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, know? right, right. Well, I, that, that answered my second question, so I don't need to go into that. But uh, I... And, I did uh, look. I did that guys for fifteen years. So it was it was part of what I was telling you earlier about doing different things. Sure, right. You know, I I I got to be on set of Avatar two years before the movie came out, um, and 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 working and interviewing Jim Cameron for hours at a time and preparing, you know, preparing documentation, which was a, a giving him back a, a a cohesive narrative on what he was telling us that was all in his brain. Mm. So I know stuff that's going to be happening in all these Avatar sequels. But I worked on this over 10 years ago. Right. Because <laughs> right. it takes Cameron so long to make a movie. And I'm working on a franchise Bible right now for for uh, uh, a metaverse project um, that they, that they this company asked me if I'd be interested in working on it. And I was kind of curious about the whole thing. So we ended up hammering out a deal. Um, so I'm working on a franchise Bible that just started like last week, basically. Okay. Um, and it's going to be like a six month job. Uh, is, so I'm working on that now. Well, six months from now, you'll have to come back and tell us what it is. Um, but uh, it's, all, I, it's all NDA too. I can talk. I, I talk about some of the old Disney stuff because that's fifteen years ago. Sure, but sure. While you're no, doing and, it, it's all NDA. No, absolutely. Like, no, we and we we totally understand that. We've we've had some people that have had the same 
restrictions that we've talked to. So we get that. Um, but somewhere there's Mickey holding a fucking rifle, like aiming it at. <laughs> yeah. oh, keep talking, motherfucker. Yeah. I'll get you. Um, no, you want to hear the real joke, Rico? <laughs> Part of the Disney thing with Pirates of the Caribbean was how little the different divisions understood Pirates of the Caribbean movie and, and especially how Pirates of the Caribbean movie was success. One of the first things Disney gave us to vet to see if there was a problem with it was um, the, 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 these young Jack Sparrow novels they were planning to do at Disney Publishing. In the opening chapter of one of the first manuscripts we got, 12-year-old Jack Sparrow slits the throat of someone from behind on a dock pier and then steals their gold and runs away. And like we're not even one chapter in, and, and already this thing is so, so off. <laughs> and we just said, no, no. <laughs> Jack no. Sparrow tricks the guy out of his money by suavely and smoothly engaging him. He doesn't slit yeah. his throat from behind. You know, um, yeah. it was all kinds of stuff like that. Like an Italian comics publisher that had the license was doing a kind of a time travel Jack Sparrow and science fiction mashup and Jack Sparrow shooting ray guns. And we're like, wait a minute. You know, so we, we actually... We, we for a little while there were several people with a Disney who hated our guts because we were the ones giving notes back saying no this is ridiculous no right, this is ridiculous right. you know um, the it, note you we, give back to them is like what the hell is wrong with you and also can I have the acid that you're clearly on yeah there's that too yes yeah we we did they did a tour they, we did a tour of the um the 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 multimedia uh, the, the you know the the MMRR whatever the 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 online game they were preparing back in the year in the mid aughts oh, right did, for Disney, Disney um, Infinity and and everything we saw was striped shirted little animated looking pirates from the theme ride and literally they had animations 3D animation rigs they were showing us of these guys in their little striped shirts from the theme park ride going argami bucko and that's not the movie mm-hmm. and there was that they had clearly been a disconnect between between the you know the perception of the property these guys had already been working on this for a year there was like four million dollars worth of development sunk into this and our notes were the ones that put the kibosh on the whole thing so the the pirates you know multiplayer online game was delayed by a year to two years because they had to re-rig everything they had to restart everything And, and and like there was one guy, one guy sent a nasty letter to the guy who owned the company I was working with about how, you know, that he, you know, we ruined, you know, tremendous creative effort on their part. And we're like, dude, you know, sorry, it's not our fault. You're blind to what's going on around you. Right. The movie just made $600 million. You don't think Disney wants it to look like this, you know? Yeah, so, Jack Sparrow doesn't have a fucking ray gun. It just doesn't work. Like well, yeah, that was, the, that was just that was Italian comics. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too Bob much red wine. Um, Rico, did you, because I have stuff, but I don't, I don't want to monopolize here. Did you? I, no, no, I'm, I'm going with the flow of the conversation. Fabian, you still good? I am still good. I'm still eyes open. Right, yeah, I'm keeping I'm keeping an eye on things for you too, buddy. We're, we're not um, we're not boring you. I appreciate that. No, yeah, I, no. you know what? I, I had a really crappy night's sleep last night, so I was really tired, and I had 
I had I had two interviews I had to do today for uh, for this this Bible thing I was talking to you about. Mm. It was hours on 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 the phone on Zoom, one on phone and one on Zoom. So by 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 the by tonight I was really zapped, but you guys have actually percolated me. Well, so good. I, I feel I feel effervescent almost. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we entertained somebody. Um, Pot of so- skew, just as good as a cup of coffee. <laughs> Um, I, I make a T-shirt. Get that on yeah, a T-shirt right? now. We 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 have T-shirts. We'll have to add that to it. Um, you, you talked about and and we we talked about how we all connected the, through the Winter Soldier conversation. How you think that's the best of the Marvel films? What what do you think is the best comic book film? Period. It doesn't have to be Marvel. It could be any any brand, any any name. What 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 do you um, think is the best comic book adaptation? Captain movie? America: Winter Soldier. Really? For okay. Me. Yeah, Not and Howard um, the Duck. What's wrong with you? Superman, Superman, the original Donner film, as much because of its time and and, and what it was able to do on screen at the time it sure. came out uh, and the age I was when I saw it is probably number two. Cap, Cap, Cap knocked Superman off the pedestal, uh, which which I didn't think was going to happen because uh, you know a lot of the Superman stuff is nostalgia as much as anything. Sure. Um, but but at the time that was an incredibly important movie for for the comic industry because it it helped legitimize it in a way that that it was struggling to find legitimacy you know so so the fact that they treated the movie with with like earnest um earnest positivity and hope and humor and and and, and Christopher Reeve was so good so good yeah. in that role um it, it it really was an important movie for the comic industry. Uh, and for me as a kid, not a kid at that point, I was like 16, but, um, but, but yeah, yeah. But not, I mean, not kid like eight, you know, sure, um, that's sure. the thing. I often have fun conversations with my star Wars friends because uh, uh, when I saw star Wars, <laughs> I was already like 15, 16. And there's a huge difference between seeing that when you're 15, 16, by the time Return of the Jedi came out, you're already 21, 22, right? Versus seeing it when you're six, seven, or eight for the first time. And then when Return of the Jedi comes out, you're 15. You have like a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so I'm, 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 I've always been down on Star Wars after Return of the Jedi. And, and friends of mine who are younger struggle with that because they saw it through different eyes than I did. You know, my eyes were a lot more jaded towards it. You know? I love Return of the Jedi. That's like my. I mean, I acknowledge Empire is the best film, yeah, but, but my prefer- too young to have seen it when it came out. That's the difference. I wasn't born. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's a yeah. there's a world of difference between watching it after the fact when you get to watch them on on TV or videotape and watching them when they came out. Return of the Jedi betrayed so many story elements that they had set up that the fans were clamoring to see happen and uh, not the uh, starting with Boba Fett. You have no idea because you're too young to know the amount of hype that was percolating around Boba Fett between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Well, the holiday special too. Well, yeah, but that was a joke. Everyone even know, but we're talking about the toys. We're talking right. about people fan magazines talking about this cool mystery character and how big a part is he going to have it to take, take today's daily internet 
and 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 then reduce it to the scope that these th- kinds of things the magazines would only come out once a month and there was a four-year wait between the movies so it actually um what we dismiss in five minutes today because social media is churning so much information on a regular basis back then it was four years worth of percolation and hype right. and buildup. So when you're sitting in the theater, trust me, at 21 years old, and you watch Boba Fett get taken out by a blind guy with a stick and a giant sand vagina, you are you are the franchise has hurt you as a as a viewer. It, it, it's it's cheated you as a viewer because they told you, or they allowed it to be told that this guy was going to be super cool. And he, I mean, he was super cool. He just went down like a bitch. Like you he, know, he wasn't super cool. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Look, he he, he looked super cool. But there we start to get to the DNA of this whole thing. No, and no, no, no. See, Really I, pissed me off. Is this? I'm with you. you I'm are on your armor, side. then you're not a character. I, I'm on your side. I happen to agree with you that I do think Boba Fett is a bit overrated, or at least he was. This new inclusion of him in the Mandalorian show and his own show, which basically became the fucking Mandalorian show again. Oh, and I wonder why, because they're starting to realize even when they tried to show you there's a character inside the armor, it's not much of a character. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. And we're not even getting to the point where they brought out the Ewoks. But like, and we're not even getting to the part where they have happy Vader ghost floating at the end of the movie. You have no idea. When, no, no I do because friends, every when me and my friends left the theater in 1983, if George Lucas had been standing in front of us, we would have punched him. <laughs> we were so disappointed. By well, that. at least at least at least he's on brand because the same thing would have happened in 2002, 2003 when when uh, when they finished up with Re- Revenge of the Sith, and then also again, or, or yeah. Yeah. None of us cared by then. Only well, you, you guys cared. You didn't, but there the were kids, a whole... The kids who grew up waiting for it cared. Yeah, but there was a whole the group of people the that... The adults who grew out of it stopped caring. <laughs> but there were a whole group of people that would have punched Lucas in the face just as much. That's my point. So Yeah, yeah I, just, I rewatched all of them because I hadn't seen them in 20 years, and I really wanted to, to, uh, to just absorb it again. And they were just so bad. They're just so bad. What, what do you feel about the uh, sequel ones? The most the, recent the, three. The, the, um, C C C pluses at best for me. All of them. All of them. Wow. All three of them. C C pluses. Wow. I, I I I strongly dislike a lot of the character choices they made uh, in terms of the original characters. I strongly despise the 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 illogic of the story world that has that was originally charming because it. You didn't need to think about it too much, but the further along they got, the harder it's been to explain. You have zero idea after nine movies, actually 10, 11, 12 movies, whatever it is now, you have no idea of the distance between places, the the makeup of the universe, of the the empire, of the galaxy. You don't understand where anything is. Why, why can someone travel from a ship in to another planet and get back to that ship while it's still being chased by a ship behind it? Right. <laughs> How does that work that a ship could be chasing another ship, but one 
one ship can leave it and go to another planet for a, an entire adventure, mind you. The the, mm-hmm. the second movie, I guess, I don't even remember. The yeah, last, yeah, last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. And still get back to that ship that was traveling ahead of the. the there's there's no there's just no rhyme or reason to so much of what they do that it really really bothers. Me. And yet when they do it charmingly, like they did in Mandalorian, it, it it's okay. You accept it because the the time frame in a Mandalorian is personal in scope, whereas in the movies the time frame has always been uh, galactic in scope, or or at the very least extensive in scope involving multiple characters at multiple locations mandalorian's kind of good because it's one guy and his little little puppet moving around doing stuff and that 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 narrows down the focus of the flaws in their story world and 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 the truth of the matter is it's you know something i grew up on star trek so star trek always did a much better job of explaining the parameters of its story world and as the story world developed when you had all the shows in the 90s they did a better job then of 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 explaining it without without so anally defining it that 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 you got choked by it you know what i mean yeah yeah okay there's an alpha quadrant there's a delta quadrant oh and you got to go through that wormhole to get to the delta that okay i understand all that there's cardassian space and it borders federation space okay but on the other side there's romulan okay they give you a basic idea of the of of the layout of the field you know players are on the field i can't tell you for the life of me where the players are on the star wars field for the most part i i do happen to agree with you i mean the sequel the sequel films are are not without you know missteps like like i i happen to agree with mark hamill's assessment of what he said to ryan johnson about the characterization of Luke in Last Jedi. He says, I fundamentally disagree with everything you've done with my character. And he's like, I choose not to look at that as Luke Skywalker. I choose to look at that as little Jake Skywalker. It's not Luke. And re-watching it, I still have that feeling. Like, you know, it, I can I can acknowledge that Last Jedi is a beautiful film. It's shot incredibly well. Yeah, no, it looks of- great. I, there's, look, the production values on all of them, even the even the Lucas sequels at that, at that, for that time period, the mm-hmm. production values are phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Yeah. The special effects are phenomenal. Everything that company does with these movies advances the the entire world of, of VFX and movies, right? Sure. And and the, so. It's not a disrespect to the people making it or how they're making it. It's a, it's kind of a disrespect to the writers who, who, who never really. Lucas was incapable as a writer of of really smartly expanding on his original premise, and and his original premise was contradicting itself left and right. Because look, does Luke like Han or does Luke like Leia? You know, or yeah, or you know, I mean, does does Leia like Han or does Leia like Luke? Uh, it's okay. She's going to end up liking Han because Luke's her brother. Yeah, you pulled that out of your ass. That wasn't part of your original plan. I don't no. even know if Darth Vader being Luke's father was part of his original plan. You know, so so to me, that's kind of making it up as you go along. And, and to, there's a negative to that when you're working in in what you already know is a very expansive franchise. You know. So before you put pen to paper, you want you have your story basically more or less. At least the groundwork. Yeah, down. yeah. Again, it's it's um the way I've tried to describe when I do these Bible franchise franchise Bibles for people. It's 
you you you're in New York and you know you have to drive to Los Angeles. So you know Los Angeles is your destination. So between those two, you know you can visit and you rattle off 10 different cities, okay? You can choose how you're going to visit those cities on your drive, all right? And you can choose not to go to some of those cities if you don't want to. You just know that those cities are there, right? Mm -hmm. And then during the course of the drive, if you happen to see a sign that tells you about the largest ball of tinfoil is just five miles away off the road, well, that's okay. You can go see that that ball of tinfoil. It's not a big deal. It's not going to stop you from getting to Los Angeles. It's just going to be a day excursion to go see that ball of tinfoil. You know, right, right. so that that's that's smart story world building in that you know your topography, you know your geography, you know your distance, you know your relative time frame, but you can relax that time frame a little bit. You know, and that's the difference between making it up as you go along where you start to get twisted into knots or contradicting yourself or or coming up with ideas because you're worried about the idea you had before and the new idea is worse you know um and, and and it also avoids people down the road 20 years later misinterpreting things like ryan johnson did with the luke luke skywalker character mm -hmm. you know misinterpreting that character um so it, it 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 it's about it's about um kind of it's about control without being controlling is what it amounts to having control over your narrative story world allows your creators to create in it without the need to control them because you're plugging their vision into a into an established framework you know um i, I you know i, I I I I don't I don't I don't agree with with I, I thought the second movie was the worst of those those three the the most recent ones um, that's the one that boggled my mind it just annoyed the living daylights out sure. um, that the, the entire movie was one ship chasing another ship for crying out loud either catch up to it or blow it up or get off the damn toilet um, <laughs> and and people coming and going from those ships as if it was no big deal. It just it was mind boggling. I I remember watching that movie going, "What the hell is going on here?" I had more. I want to watch it again. I well, I mean, I had more of a problem with the concept they pulled with Palpatine coming back with the Emperor. Like the fact, were, I, yeah, I, I, that's right. I don't even. Yeah, that's. Right. I forgot he died, so it didn't matter. He died in <laughs> Jedi, and then he came back. Yeah, I know that was a long time ago. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, that's right. Um, I that actually kind of leads me to another another question. This isn't. It's not like I'm reading from a list, Fabian. I'm these are coming to me as you're talking. But like, I I know I know you've obviously written a bunch of things, you know, comics and then your your book and and you've done these these bibles and whatnot. Is there? Do you have any? So this is a multi part question. So so bear with me a second. But do you have any interest in writing a script based on something you've done already? And if so, what? And if not, is there something of yours you would like to see turned into a movie? Someone else can do the script work. But is that something that – so that's the three parts to the question. Okay. Um, I would love an opportunity at some point to get to write a, a screen – a teleplay. I prefer television and movies, quite honestly. Okay. Um, I, I have written scripts and screenplays. Uh, that, that have gone out and just didn't happen. Nothing happened with them. I've okay. co-written a couple things. Um, 
I've written some animation scripts that have have been made, but so it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a, if it doesn't happen and I die, I die disappointed kind of a thing, but um, I I would like an opportunity to work on a a teleplay of some kind. Um, The, the book has been optioned, was optioned a long time ago. Um, So it's being developed now uh, and a pilot script is being written now, but I, I, I rejected the, the, the opportunity and the contract to write the pilot script mm. because I did not want to give them a reason to say no. Um, so, so if the, if the book becomes a show, I'd like, I'd like a chance to try to get to write an episode down the road, uh, you know, not, not likely a first season episode, but if, if it gets picked up for a second season, if the second book gets picked up for adaptation, sure. maybe, maybe get a shot at doing that. But again, none of it is, None of it is a driving need. It would just be fun. It would be fun. And I say that a lot more now in my career and in my life. I, I do it if it sounds like it's fun. I, I want to do it because I think it'll be fun. Um, it's not, you know, the comic assignments I take, I, gen- I generally now tend to take because it'll be a fun assignment and not okay. because, uh, you know, not, not necessarily because I have to write that character. I've written just about every character Marvel and DC has at one point or another. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's rarely about that. It's often about who I get to work with or who the character is or what the format is. I just did a digital comic for Marvel, which was a vertical scroll comic for them. And they just started recently doing that. And I've been doing vertical scroll for a few years with outrage on Webtoon. So it, it was a good, it was a fun opportunity to get to write Deadpool in a vertical scroll comic, you know, um, because the characters, the characters inclinations lend themselves really nicely to the, the verbal sure. repartee you can do in a vertical scroll. Um, so, so that was fun. So yeah, hopes, I hope to, I, I hope to, but you know, again, it, 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 I won't die with regrets if I don't. Right. Right. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just read, it's not a vertical scroll, but I just read, uh, your Avengers Alliance part one, which I thought was really good. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. What the heck was that? What are we talking about? I don't even know what we're talking about. It's, it's in a, it, the, it's a, Is it part a custom one. comic. I know it's a, Mar- it's called Marvel's uh, Avengers Alliance. It starts with Star-Lord and... Or all the Guardians coming down, teaming up with the Avengers, and they're fighting off basically Thanos' uh, people without Thanos. Oh, that was a custom comic I think I wrote. Okay. That's actually a custom comic. I did a bunch of those because I'm really good friends, was really good friends with the editor who, I am really good friends with the editor who was there. Gotcha, Uh, gotcha. And and, uh, he asked me to do a whole bunch of custom comics. That's um, That's usually done in conjunction with a corporate partner, as Ah. it were. Um, okay, well, so it didn't I, say, but I think yeah. that was a one-shot comic that was done in conjunction with a corporate partner. Well, I was enjoying the hell out of the story, though. So I, I, the problem is only part one's available. I can't buy part two or three or four because I tried and it won't let me. I don't know if there is a part two, three. <laughs> it says it says story continued in part two, so maybe the story never got continued. I don't remember, but yeah, it, I, don't, I, don't I don't know. But you have a fucking printed cliffhanger. Like there's just yeah. no part two. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, you know, if it, was, if it was a custom comic, there's so many different factors that go into that. I don't, you know. I, I don't. I, those are hit and run jobs, quite um, frankly. <laughs> you know, there's so many other things I'd like to ask you about, but we are getting close on time here, and 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 I don't want to keep you because you've been so generous with your time already. So I do, you know, we do appreciate it. Um, so I mean, at, at best, we'd hope to have you come back and join us again. And I'd be happy to, to come back when the second book comes out. 
Enrico reads it. Yeah, I, and I, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully by then I will have read the first one. So there you go. And or, there you go. Or or, or watch the, the, the second book is called The Self Made Widow. Yeah, we saw the. I saw the title on. Yeah, because it's, it's already got cover art. Even if it's not yes, ready it yet, does. it, it, it yeah, has cover so. art out already. Uh, gonna, I gotta. I just talked to my web guy uh, who designed my website, and, and he's on vacation this week. But last week, I sent them the stuff I need for him to update the website a little bit. Um, and and he's gonna plug in new stuff onto the the loading page for the website. So the cover, the cover of the new book and the paperback version of Suburban Dicks will be up real soon. Well, if we, I if got, we... Suburban Dicks was nominated for an Edgar Award, which is like the big mystery, um, mystery book award. Um, done by the Mystery Writers of America, Suburban Dicks was nominated for best best first novel by an American author. Uh, it's me and four other books in the category, and I I just this just happened a, f- a couple weeks ago. Awesome. I was a pretty darn big deal to get nominated for an Edgar Award, um, and it's the only time I'll ever be nominated for best first novel because it's the only time I'll ever have a first novel. Sure, so, sure. Um, it's kind of cool that that happened, but it's rec- it, what it means is members of the organization who are made up of mystery writers um, recognize the book. Which, That's awesome! Which was nice. Congratulations, kind of man! I, yeah. We hope yeah. we hope you get the win there for sure. Yeah, um, I don't. I, I, I sincerely doubt. I'm not the. I'm not the kind of guy who gets ever nominated, so I really don't think I'm the kind of guy who wins. <laughs> hey, you um, never know, man. You never know. We, uh, yeah. you know, looking at, looking at, you know, you talk about your website. I was looking at it. I was looking at the in your bio section. It's got a picture of the new Warriors, and I have that book over there. Like it's that's a very smart book yeah. for you to have. It's no, it's and it's a great book. I I actually I when so we were looking at it, one. yeah, and yeah, I that one's I, good too. I intend so to add, new warriors and suburban dicks. You guys got the good stuff covered, and I intend to add suburban <laughs> dicks to my my collection. I promise. But I mean, and I'm well, not saying that because you're here. I said to Rico, I intend to buy it. Like when I read the synopsis, I I plan on getting it regardless. But yeah, well, he well, actually look, it's 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 really easy to how we'll figure this out, CJ. What's going to happen is you'll have me back on the show maybe sometime in the summer and if i don't see a copy of suburban dicks on that little table behind you then i'll know you're full of shit and you're lying to me it'll be the how about the digital copy i'm a digital guy rico's a paper but i'm a digital that's fine guy. digital I'll, copy's fine you can I'll, hold up your ipad and i will show me. i promise just, yeah just take a screenshot of it and, and send it to him be yeah, like hey right. man <laughs> but what you don't see is he took a screenshot Shut of up. just the order just he the order yeah. then, he's, gonna, yeah. he's gonna have to scroll on the ipad in front of me or on yeah. the kindle in front of me uh, well, the, <laughs> This actually brings us to something else because we there is a another possible. I mean, CJ actually told me he's like, you should read this on the air because I I occasionally do a, a side project where I read to a bunch of drunk Aussies and people. Like I read like it's basically book on tape, but I'm not getting any money for it. I'm just having fun. And currently, right now, I'm going through the Harry Potter books because they're fun to read. And I try and do impressions. I try and do all the different voices, and and I come up with characters and i do r-rated ad-libs it's it's not for children based on the uh, what i mentioned like dude you got to read suburban dicks it's really fucking funny and it's really good he's like that i would watch your fucking show if you were reading that not harry potter <laughs> i did say that so, yeah, yeah. Then you're only really selling to an audience of like one or two people. You got three. <laughs> well, you know yeah. what I was? I I wouldn't really want to actually do that on the air because I want you to make money, and I don't yeah. care about J.K. Rowling at yeah. this point. Um, but ultimately, afterwards, I we would encourage all of our listeners to read the fucking book, for and sure. then you can come on for a Q and A. Because that sounds good to me. 
the website we use is is basically like what we're doing, but there's also a chat room where people can hit you there's up a live, and say, "Hey, it's a live component as opposed to this, which is pre-recorded." Oh, cool. So you you would get... and it's only two hours that's yeah, recorded at most. So sounds doable to me, guys. This was so a lot everybody. Of fun. So everybody who's listening, you have to read and you have to buy and read yes. the Urban Dicks, and maybe yes. sometime in the future, Fabian will fucking bless us by coming on GetVocal.com. On sale now, available wherever fine books are sold. Uh, absolutely. Or is there digitally? Is, is there anything digitally else? Digitally works too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> is, is there anything else you want to plug for real before we before we hang call it a night and and whatever? No, I'm good right now. I got my last thing just came out. The Marvel Digital Comic just finished. It was a Deadpool Juggernaut story uh, that just ran on Marvel Unlimited. So, but you okay. have to have the app in order to see yep. the comic. Um, yeah. And and I have no other comic stuff right now. Uh, a new image book is in percolation, but I don't think it'll be ready to come out till next year, quite honestly, at the rate okay. we're going. Um, that's uh, me and Kurt Busick and Stephen Mooney are doing a book called Free Agents uh, for with with Image. Um, and and other than Outrage season two, which has been on hiatus for almost a year now, uh, but we're close to finishing the second season and, and that'll start dropping again, probably in late spring uh, on Webtoon. Um, I'm not doing that much comic work right now. I'm, I'm hoping to, to start working on a third book uh, later this year. Uh, but the first half of this year is, uh, is on a franchise Bible because it's going to be a pretty, a well, pretty big bear of a job. Uh, so that's it. Okay. Well, I, and, and listen, you know, I, the, the impetus that brought you to us, the, this, the Captain America conversation was well worth the, the ridicule that I took, <laughs> um, to, to have you join us. I wasn't and, that oh, much I, ridicule. No, I, no, I took, it's like, I, this, it's like this much ridicule. No, I took, I took, I took a lot behind the scenes after the fact. So that has nothing to oh, do with I, you. Yeah, I, yeah, I, so, I, yeah. I can't be responsible. No, for you cannot. No, you are. cannot. I was um, giving him so much shit. Like you really fight was. with the creator of Deadpool, you dumbass. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a fight, and he didn't pick anything. Every no, Twitter honestly. is every Twitter fight is a fucking fight. Trust me. He gave, also, me, uh, he gave an honest answer to an honest question. I'm the one you who chose, pitch, chose you to pitch. kick yeah, him in the yeah. nuts. <laughs> The other thing you have to understand is I I tend to be the the kicking post on this show in general, so that's I, uh, you know it's it, it's okay. I I I I it, have the thick it, skin. It, for it. Honestly, it just makes you the bigger man. It just Thank makes you, you mature. Thank you. you. I I first well yes I am the I am the older more mature of the two. Of <laughs> Rico, us, so. just Rico, just just let him go. <laughs> Um, Let him roll. Okay, yeah, this is a Make a Wish Foundation kind of fucking episode. Um, Fabian, thank you really, all, all seriousness, for for taking the time to to come and talk to us. It it was really enlightening. I think we got some. I think we had a really good, unique insight into how some of this stuff is done that I I wouldn't have thought of. So I, I don't want to speak for Rico on that, but I I thoroughly thank you for for the insight My that pleasure, you gave guys. us. Uh, Rico, enjoyed some, it. You guys were a lot of fun to spend time with. Thank you, Rico. Do Thanks, you have anything man. you want to say before? I, I just one really quick question. Why'd you make Deadpool Canadian? Uh, because Weapon X was in Canada. That's and right. At the time, at the time, it made sense that. Um, I'm sorry. Wait, we didn't make Deadpool Canadian. Okay, Ryan Reynolds made Deadpool Canadian. He was American. He went to Canada to go to the Weapon X program oh. because. He was a mercenary who found out about 
the opportunity to try to save his life by going to the Weapon X program. And that's why he went. But he, in in our in my mind anyway, and I wrote the stories that had him. He was U.S. Army. He was U.S. You know U.S. Special Forces. He got dishonorably discharged. He he grew up in Ohio. He was American. He wasn't Canadian. That Ryan Reynolds, because they were filming in Canada, and because he's Canadian, and because they wanted to have that say that since Weapon X is in Canada anyway, make him Canadian. So they got made him it. Canadian. Um, and quite frankly, it doesn't make a difference. It really, it, you know. Really I just doesn't. thought it was a weird choice. I was like, they make the like a guy who shoots people in the fucking head like from the like from Canada. Well, I, I, it's really you can understand Wolverine is from Canada and he's Canadian. That's fine, but uh, but that's, because he's uh, that old Canada. That's you know, he's before, a hunter. Yeah, he's a hunter survivalist kind of Canada. You, you you really you really there's no real background that you can successfully. Uh, say makes sense for Deadpool to be for Wade Wilson to be from Canada, you know? Um, so, you know, let, let the movie guys have whatever they need to make them happy. <laughs> that, that's okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, that still makes more sense than whatever the fuck X-Men origins was. I'm just saying. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I, no, he um, was, he was, in my mind, he's American, but I don't give it much thought. It doesn't make that much of a difference. To me. No, it was just, it was just like, how many times am I going to have this opportunity to, you know, ask that question, you know? Maybe, I mean, he Ryan Reynolds Sri Lankan. Maybe he should be Sri Lankan and he knows Sakunananthan. There you go. I, I think Deadpool's the only person who could pronounce that properly. <laughs> it would be fun to see see him try to pronounce Sakunananthan and Nisiasa and see what happens. There you go. Well, fucking Ryan Reynolds will not return my tweet, so maybe you'll have more luck than me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Fabian, thank you. Right, thank you guys. so much for, for coming on. You have a you have a great night my and pleasure. we'll be in touch soon. Have a good night, guys. Take care. Right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, man, that was, you know, it, it, it's funny because we, we brought him in, obviously, you know, from the conversation we've referenced on Twitter and also the fact that he's co-creator Deadpool. And it, it, it was clear that he wanted to talk more than Deadpool. That was very obvious to me pretty much from top. And, I, and we certainly didn't talk as much Deadpool as we... I thought we would, and I'm fine with that. It was a great conversation, right. but it, it definitely, I didn't, I didn't see that coming quite the way that it went. <laughs> I didn't either. I, I, if you notice, like I purposely, I mean, because I did have dead cool questions. So I did like, I. I really? Yeah. I yeah. was like, I got to jam one more in like, as I, I don't think, goodbye. I, I, you know what I think? And, and, and I got this vibe from him by the end. And by that point it was too late to kind of circle back. But, I think what he just doesn't want, and I and I get this, and I respect it, right? He doesn't want to be peppered with Deadpool questions. But if every once in a while we, if within the context of the conversation, we were able to circle back to a Deadpool thing without completely just derailing the conversation, I think he's okay with it. You know what I mean? That's the vibe that I'm getting from him. And I think it, it goes back to that Hamill quote I had. You know, I yeah. love ice cream, but I don't want to fucking eat it every day. Whereas it, I'm that asshole. I'm like, I love ice cream. I would eat it every day. Like, yeah, what are you me, talking me about? Me too. Yeah, I hear you. But it, it, I get it. And I get I get where he's coming from. And certainly not a criticism in any capacity. I, it was a great conversation. Like I said to him, I, I think I learned stuff. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you knew some of the things he was talking about. But I I certainly learned some shit. So, um, you know. the fact that there's like a whole group of people that like has essentially have to like write a mythology 
for yeah, a that franchise. was really intriguing. Yeah, like and and oh my god, like th- there are times where I'm like, I don't think they did that shit. Not not him personally, no, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the whole, it's like who's writing these goddamn Bibles for fucking Star Wars? Like we were talking about how like. There always needs to be a Feige. You know, Feige needs to, there always needs to be a Feige for whatever franchise they're doing. Yeah, Someone who see, knows that shit. But with respect to, to Fabian and what he does, because that seems to be the bulk of his work lately, um, besides his book, of course, you know, but is, you know, Feige's um, internal, right? Whereas, like, a lot of these other things, it looks like they're, hi- like, he said he's working for a company that was hired to do the Bible, at least for Tron, you know. Right. He was working for a company. So, like, they're hiring these external sources to come in and tell the creators what their content is, you know, like, right. whereas... Like, hey, wh- you want... Yeah. Whereas, like, Feige, Feige's internal going, uh, hello? <laughs> you know, like... But, I mean, that's what we're talking about, is, like, you... Now, it's more obvious where we're certain... Sure. Certain yeah. franchise or certain film series just don't have that, or they didn't have... They didn't have Fabian, is ultimately what it sounds like. Right, right. Because, because for the most part, like, as an example, the Pirates of the Caribbean films, like, structured-wise, the mythology was really on point. And then, like, on the later sequels, like, did they... Did they is this the New Testament Bible? Did like, did they fucking? What's going on with the Old Testament? Like, um, but no, man. I had I had such a great time, and this is see like every guest that like more or less that we've gotten on here, where it's you know uh, Marilyn Gigliotti or Scott Schiaffo or Maddie or Maddie Granger, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is just kind of been my, it, it, and I I do have to toot my own horn for this. It's like me kind of being like. Fuck it. Let's just see what happens. Because in terms of all these, I only bring that up because of all these guests, I'm the one who's kind of like, hey, you want to yeah, be on the okay, podcast? Yeah, no, you're definitely our, our our guest getter for the most part. I think I I think I scored one of the the guests we've had. Other than that, I were all all your work basically. So you know, yeah, I, I think mean, it's. I think Eddie was me. I believe I could be wrong about Eddie, that. Pence. Eddie was Eddie was me too. Eddie was okay. There was somebody. I'm, I, I'm, any, yeah, matter, I, I, but... I wrote to him and I said, "Hey, man, like, uh, I, I don't fucking, I don't even remember how I got Eddie, but like, we exchanged numbers. Like, that's how he was just like, yeah, fuck it. Here's my number. Well, he he pulled a you is what happened. Is yeah, so, right. Yeah, and right. I, and it's and that's the thing that I'm really kind of learning. Like, of all this, of all the years of you and I doing a podcast, you look at celebrities as unattainable. And or maybe not celebrities, but like people who work in the Hollywood industry who write comic books, who write books like, you know, we to be able to have people as generous as Eddie and Fabian and Maddie and all all these people. Maddie and Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Every everybody, you know, Maryland, everybody is it makes it makes it just a little bit more. Well, fuck. Why doesn't Mark Hamill return my tweets? You know what? Maybe. Maybe it'll happen someday. Maybe not Mark Hamill, but at the very least, I can get the motherfucker who played Bib Fortuna, you know, or right. something like and that. I, I, like, I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before, but, like, I've actually gotten quasi-connected with the guy who played Stewart on The Big Bang Theory. That's not, you know, it's not Johnny Galecki, it's not Jim Parsons, it's not Kaylee Cuoco, but I would sit down and talk to, to Sussman about that show and, and the other work that he's been in, for sure, you know, like... Absolutely. Yeah, Boy, so, you're in a Rico and right to this motherfucker. Yeah, I, I, like, I need hey, to. I, I'm just... I, I Fuck half the time, I don't know what day it is. But anyway, that's beside the point. I... 
at the end of the day, this was a great, great interview. I, I'm glad I replied to his question because I replied to the question. I, my initial reply to the question was not "Let's get Fabian on the on Potescu. It was "This is an interesting question. I'm gonna post my answer." You know, right? And and it spawned into this. You know, and and you know, I, I, I've, I. He did seem to enjoy himself, and that was that's something that's I think key for you and you and I every time we have a guest. So I think that's you know, yeah, because we don't really want to do this as like so. Uh, you were born in Argentina, like you know, no one really wants to hear that too much. Well, we some people, I mean, I, I I find some of that stuff interesting. Like I I, I would like no, no, no to, I'm saying know. in terms of like an interview question level, it's more sure. of just like I we, you and I would rather just have a conversation. Oh yeah, definitely want it to be a conversation. Like when we have these questions, it's certainly just it's more of a framework than a okay, we have to get to this one, we have to get to this one, we have you know, like it's it's yeah. So anyway, great great conversation. Uh, I I hope you guys enjoyed it. I I am sorry, you know, for those of you that are fans of Deadpool, I'm sorry if it didn't have as much as you would have liked, but I still hope you found that conversation as intriguing as we did. So. And I can't stress this enough. Please, 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 however you fucking want to get it, please buy Suburban Dicks by Fabian Nicosia. It is really funny. Like, it's, it is a dark murder mystery, but it's really fucking funny. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll end this episode. Usually I get the final quote, but I'll end this episode with, like, half a page of, of the first page. Okay. Sakun and Nathan Sasmal would have been the first to admit he'd had worse nights working the midnight shift at his uncle's Valero station. For example, there'd been a night last summer that had started out with such promise. Eight drunken girls on their way home from clubbing at the beach had spilled out of a stretch limo at 4 a.m. They flirted with him before piling into the station's bathroom and regurgitating their night's activities across all four walls. It's true, And somehow the ceiling. For Saku, they had killed the, that had killed the mood. Then there was a lady who fell asleep while driving and plowed into the first island. Saku barely hit the kill switch on pump three before diving out of the car's path. The woman rolled down her window and asked him to fill her tank. Regular. Cash. Then there was that time he'd been robbed at gunpoint. And the other time he'd been robbed at knife point. And the other time he had been robbed at spatula point. In his defense, it had been one of those long-handled metal barbecue spatulas. And there was last night, where Sat uh, Sat Sasmal was murdered. <laughs>